0: Fun to watch people try to herd children out for children's church. They're sure they want to go or they don't want to go. One did a cartwheel in the row I was sitting in on his way trying to go. That's pretty nice. Did you trip your brother make him do that? You wanted to, but you didn't. Yeah. Well, good morning. (laughs) There I go again. I'm not allowed to look down with this, I guess, or something, but we'll see how we do. I told him I was going to be better today and there'd be less problems, but I'm not quite sure where to put this microphone, I guess. So, And if I don't look down, I'll just talk for an hour with no point, and that won't work either. So, But good morning. It is nice to be here. I've had several of you mention about how much I like snow. And whether or not maybe it's has something to do with the snow that we had yesterday no i I don't like it in April, although it's not going to last very long of course did have a nice time yesterday, so in Spencer uh they have uh every well it's been now for a couple of years they have a Northwest Iowa autism walk and I uh, of course, I have an 8-year-old who's very autistic, and so we signed right up for that. And they do a nice job. It was at 10 a.m. It was partially raining, snowing. The wind was howling. My daughter could care less. The colder, the better, more snow on her face. She's as happy. If you could see her face, you'd realize, now, that's the attitude I ought to have. But uh, we were there. We had a good time anyway. Um But I'd have to say, no, I don't really like it that much in April. But it will change. I do have to say that I did see, I think it was on Thursday or Friday, I saw the first corn planter in the field near my house. Has there been any corn planted up here? Does anybody know? Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I I looked at the guy. I thought, I don't think you're going to get very far. But it probably helped his attitude about it. It always helped my dad once he had planted something, let it happen. But at least I got something in the field. So, but uh, so this morning we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, we're going to continue our talk, and our series of messages on Abraham. Now, this will be the ninth in a series. I'm not going to review, lucky for you, all of those other eight sermons, but all of this is about faith, walking in faith, and learning to live in faith, and reality, we live in faith every day. We get in the car, we put the key in, and we have faith that the car is going to start. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, You get up in the morning, I get up in the morning, and uh, my wife knows that on Sunday mornings I make the coffee. When she gets out of bed, she has faith that I will have done that. I rarely fail. Every once in a while she's disappointed because I forgot. But I make the coffee on Sunday. they are faith in all kinds of things, big things, little things, and especially in life. This morning, it's called a worldly faith. And the reason it's called a worldly faith is even though this is a series of messages about Abraham, this morning we're going to turn to Lot. Now I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. I'm going to do that because, uh, one, it is the next chapter in the story. And if God thinks it's worth an entire chapter in the Bible, then it's certainly worth hearing about. Secondly, he is Abraham's nephew, and he comes right into the story. Now, the last message we had about this was Abraham's conversation with the Lord about Sodom. And Abraham said, Lord, and if I remember all the numbers right, he said, uh, listen, and he knows lots down there. And the Lord said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm destroying the city because of their sin and their wickedness. And Abraham says, Lord, if there were 50 righteous people, would you destroy, uh, destroy the city? And the Lord said, no, if there are 50, I won't. And so Abraham says, well, what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And uh, the Lord says, no, if there are 10 righteous, I won't destroy the city. And I had made the point that Abraham may have thought, well, there's Lot and Mrs. Lot and uh, their two daughters, and Abraham might have thought, well, certainly, so that's four righteous people, and perhaps the two daughters, now they're engaged to be married, so they they must have two righteous men and the parents of them, so he could add it up to ten. Maybe that's how he was thinking, but as you and I know... Our righteous children don't always marry on right or marry righteous people. And so that's where we left it, and we brought it up to today. So now let's have a word of prayer so that God will help me. Father, I thank you for this body of believers and every single one, Lord, that has come this morning to gather together. Lord, remind me and remind all of us that when we come to church, we come to worship you, we come to hear from your word, and we come to fellowship with one another. And Lord, out of that, we encourage and we help, and you are honored in it. So Lord, help me today as I preach to be honest and forthright and truthful. Uh, may I always honor and lift up your word, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to read a section of Genesis chapter 19 this morning. I'm going to start in verse 15, and I'll read through 29. And uh, the angels now have been at Lot's home, and it starts this way. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life, do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain, escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. He overthrew those cities and all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew in the, on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Well, Next thing, I'm going to attach it to my belt and shout really loudly. But. Abraham. Now, we talked about Abraham. You've learned something about Abraham. I hope it sticks in your brain. We talked about Abraham, and Abraham is known in Scripture, known around the world as a friend of God. One of the messages, I said, are you a friend of God? And We look at his life. We can see how he lived, how he walked, how he talked. He was not perfect. But it's a good pattern to follow. We learned about Abraham's wife, Sarah. We learned about Abraham's other lady, Hagar and Ishmael, their their son. We learned about Melchizedek, the king. And we learned about the king of Sodom as well. Now Abraham's nephew, Lot, why would you want to talk about him? It's not a very nice story that I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to talk about some things that people don't like to talk about. But so be it, it's in Scripture, and so this morning we will. But really, Lot, he's probably a lot more like you and I than Abraham. Lot's a real guy. You know, he kind of did what he had to do, he would say. There's an entire chapter in the Bible devoted to him. We'll see other Scripture passages in the New Testament where he's mentioned, Lot is like you and I. He's a, he's the businessman who values profit over principle. I don't really want to do that, but I guess I just have to. He's the student who cheats on an exam. He gets the desired result, but he hasn't learned anything. He's the man who cheats on his wife, who short-term thinks he's got the world by the tail until the world bites him. And I will just share a little... Caveat as my wife says, I won't be cheated on, but I may be a widow. <laughs> you think about that, yeah, somebody said amen, so. The politician who only looks for votes, but once he's in, does what he wants. You know the story of Lot, how he and Abraham had a disagreement. Abraham said, choose the land you want, he chose the best land. Lot would not have held the door for the little old lady at Walmart. He would have gone through first to make sure he didn't fall down. He was covetous and greedy. He goes off towards Sodom. He becomes the judge there, and it looks like things are going pretty well. But well, let's run through the story. As it begins, of course, the two angels arrive at the gate, and immediately Lot recognizes them as from God. So Lot invites them into his house. He bakes them some bread. Some men come and surround the house. They are, they are a, a wicked men and they want to rape these uh, men who have come into the city. Lot pleads with them. He, he goes so far to offer his own daughters. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this is the most repulsive story in Scripture, and I think it is. People get angry with Lot. The two angels bring Lot into the house and strike the men of the city of Sodom with blindness so they can't find it. Mercy, they're taking care of him. The two angels pronounce doom. Lot goes and tries to talk to his sons-in-law and said, look, we're going to flee from the city. You need to go with us because angels from the Lord have come. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. He's probably never mentioned this before. What's he talking about? So the angels physically push Lot out of Sodom. Take him by the hand, drag him out. And I don't know about you, but occasionally I've had to be drugged, kicking and screaming out of sin. Walk out saying, I'm going to run away from that. No, we're not like Joseph in the Old Testament who left his cloak and ran. No, we're saying, no, 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 you just let me here in my pig manure here. Let me roll around it a little bit more because my... Everybody really likes that perfume. I remember I was in sixth grade, and I grew up milking cows. And I didn't like taking showers in the morning. That was stupid. That was often my response to things, that I didn't want to do something. In fact, if you ask my wife, she might say I still occasionally say that. And so I am sitting in class, and uh, I have my arm leaning up, and I look down, and my entire arm is covered with cow manure. And I, all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I'll bet that's not very nice to the rest. And so I go, and I wash that off. But you know, it was interesting, as I think later, I must have smelled like cows to everybody in the classroom. Actually, that was in fifth grade, because when sixth grade started, the first day of the year, I decided I'm getting old enough now, I probably should put some of my dad's aftershave on before I go, first day of school. Well, if a little bit is good, and I remember standing there with my buddies, and all of a sudden, somebody said, who in the world put their dad's aftershave on? Well, I was pretty quick, and I said, oh, man, what idiot would do that? And there were three or four of us there. I stuck to them like glue. I was so close to them all day, they couldn't tell if they had aftershave on or I had it on. They never did. I didn't put it on again. But I learned a lesson about showering. Cows are nice, but people don't like how cows smell. Pork chops are nice, but people don't like how pigs smell. But oftentimes we say, you know, here, I'm, I'm in this sin. I'm just going to stay here. And that's the way Lot was. This is a world I know. This is wrong, but I kind of like it, so I'll stay here. Well, they physically grab them, pull them out of the city, and tell them where to go. Total destruction comes in verse 23 to 25. Lot's wife looks back, and I do believe she literally was turned into a pillar of salt. If you visit Israel, you're down near the end of the Dead Sea, they'll point out some pillars that kind of look like someone looking back. Abraham sees the result. He knows there were not ten righteous people in um, in Sodom. And then, of course, probably the worst part of the story in the last eight verses is Lot ends up in a cave where he commits incest with his daughters, and two tribes are born out of that. Wow. Isn't that an uplifting, happy story? Well, it's not. But there are some lessons there. Now, I, uh, one of the questions I want to ask this morning is this. How much did greed cost Lot? Everything, didn't it? He sold his soul to the devil, and it cost him everything. Except we'll see, he didn't actually sell his soul to the devil, but he sure looked like it. Lot lost his testimony. When he went to his sons-in-law and said, come on, we've got to leave the city. God's going to destroy the unrighteous." <laughs> They said, well, we'll hang out with you because you're going to get destroyed too. People laughed at him. Do they ever laugh at you when they find out that you are a secret Christian? (laughs) you secretly say, yeah, yeah, no, I'm a follower of Christ. They don't want to look too close. Does it happen at home? You know, it's easy to act like a Christian when you're in church. It's always, it's harder at home it's harder at work. Sometimes it's even hard in the car with your wife on the way to church. Someone asked me, you know, they said, you don't bring your wife very often. Is that so you don't argue on the way to church? Well, I have other reasons, but it's true. I know many pastors who don't drive to church with their wives. Now, Thor, do you often, do you, do you guys come to church here in the same car? In the same car? All right. See there? Now you know. He's an extra good guy. All right. Yeah, I'll put you on the pedestal so you fall off. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lot lost his wife. He lost his daughters. He lost his dignity in a cave, committing incest, and saw a stand. he's in an unknown grave somewhere. There's a saying. It goes like this. And if you remember nothing else, this is one to remember. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And sin will charge you a higher price than you ever imagined you could pay. And that's what Lot found out. Well, what are some lessons from, for us from the life of Lot? The first one is this. When we go against conscience, the consequences are out of our control. What do I mean by conscience? It's what we, when we do what we know is evil. Sometimes you do things and you don't know. You're driving in your car. You're driving along happily at 65 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, the policeman stops you and he says, sir, this is a 50-mile-an-hour zone. And you know, they know if you're making it up. I had no idea. Sometimes you pay the fine anyway. But there are times when you don't know. But most of us know what is right and what is wrong. So we know. In the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 2, it talks about Lot and the fact that he knew what was right and what was wrong. And uh, verses 6 through 8 it says, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous lot. Did you hear that? Righteous Lot? Lot was a redeemed man who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Wow. In Romans... um, it talks to us in, in verses 1, 18 to 20 says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse." Well, that's where most of us are. We know what is right and we know what is wrong but sometimes we want wrong to be right and right to be wrong so we can do what we want and that's where lot was so the scripture tells us lot was a righteous man like you and I doing things he shouldn't do but why didn't why did lot leave Sodom well maybe the financial benefits that's kinda hard to do what if you're in a job and in the job you're asked to do things that are illegal or immoral, but you're making too much money. Kinda hard to say no to the almighty dollar, isn't it? It said everybody has their price. I, I think I don't think everybody does, but many people do. Sometimes it's friends, it's position. And scripture then talks about, of course, what's comfortable the flesh, the eyes, and the steam. When I was in Israel and went through the Holocaust Museum. Our guide said the reason the Jews did not run from Germany in the 30s was they were too comfortable and they had no idea. They couldn't see what was coming. But imagine one day living a beautiful life with beautiful cars and homes and swimming pools and living your life and being told, you better run for your life because they're going to they're kill all of you. You don't believe it. Lot resisted but was finally pushed out but when he left he took a little bit of of, uh, Sodom with him didn't he? And that's the problem. Do not go against your conscience when you know what is right. Stand up for it. Stand up for it. God, number two, God is faithful even to his rebellious people. God is faithful even to his rebellious people. Um, you have children that are rebellious, and they say they're not interested in God, or they're not going to come to church, or they're not going to, not going to, not going to. Well, you just pray about it, and I'll say, it's easy to say, don't worry about it. I, I have older kids now, and sometimes they're smart, and sometimes they think they're smart. Um, me too. But God is faithful. Lot was his child, and, and God could have destroyed Lot right along with the city. He didn't have to get him out first, but he did. God didn't have to blind the rapists that, that wanted to, to take the angels. God didn't have to save anybody. He didn't have to send any angels. God was just fine. Do You ever wonder if a Lot will be in heaven? You probably never thought about that because you're not, well, or maybe you have because you preach. But if you don't preach, you're not going to think about that very much. But evidently from Scripture, if we read it, yes, he will. Now, i will get there by the skin of his teeth. You'll know other people that way. you know people who probably deathbed confessions and turning their life over to the Lord, but they're there, and that's, that's the important part. God is faithful even to his rebellious people. Number three, we too should be willing to rescue those who have sold out to Sodom. Okay, so if God was willing to send two angels from heaven to go to Sodom and try to rescue a few people that had sold out to Sodom and the wicked lifestyle there, why shouldn't you? How, how do really, really wicked people make you feel? Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't like being around drunks. I, they just, it's like, I just want to smack them. I mean, you're not funny. Don't talk to me, and don't put your arm around me while you slobber on me. Now there, we could. I, I just happened to pick that one. You could pick all kinds. But how do you feel when you're around truly evil people? Now here's a problem anymore. We don't know what evil is because we call good bad and bad good. So that is a problem. But how you? It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable to deal with people who have addictions. And, that, you know, if they're of the flesh, we accept those a little bit more than the spiritual ones, but you've got, you've got addictions, you've got lifestyles, you've got things. How do you feel? And they make you feel uncomfortable. Well, God came down from heaven and sent those angels. That was rather a change. So there's your, your, our example. We should be willing to rescue those who are inside them, and we should be reaching out in our communities to the least and to the worst So it comes down to, so what was the sin of Sodom? And yes, certainly homosexuality was a huge part of the sin of Sodom. I'm not going to leave you with any doubt. Scripture is very clear. Homosexuality is sin. You can say it's not. You can say that you have wings and can fly through the air, and you don't. Scripture was true 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, It's never said that homosexuality is right or righteous. It also has never said that you should be a jerk and treat people in a mean fashion. You will not draw anyone out of sin if you are not kind. I hope you heard me. If not, I'd be happy to repeat it. But that was not the only sin, of course. Wickedness covers a whole realm of activities. Christ boiled them down to three. He talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of uh, life. Well, what is the lust of the flesh? Well, the problem is, of course, that always gets worse, and it's whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, with whatever I want. It's I, 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 I. Got to have a bigger house. Got to have a nicer car. I deserve that. I, I hear people say that all the time, people that work for me. I deserve a vacation. Well, actually, I don't have any idea if you deserve a vacation or not. People who don't have vacations don't die. Did you know that? It's amazing. I'd like—I'd really like that job you're offering. Does it come with a with a two-week vacation? <laughs> I don't know. It comes with work. I know that. But. The lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the uh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the lust of the flesh, of course, the problem is it always gets progressively worse. You're never satisfied with that, with those fleshly sins. One of the things that isn't talked about enough, of course, and we, I'm not going to go into detail here to make a crowd, but I'd be happy to talk with the men in this church about pornography, because that's like drinking salt water. You'll drink it till you're dead. Lust of the eyes. Hmm. That gets progressively worse. What's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. I see what I want, I take what I see. You have what I want, you're the enemy. Why should you have what I don't have? That's not fair. Lust of the eyes. Lust of and the pride of life. Or fame, of course, that gets progressively worse. says I'm only somebody if I have my name in the paper or I have lots of followers on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Uh, I like to refer to chap snot that my son likes to use. Some of you younger ones know what Snapchat is. I call it chap snot. (laughs) And uh, I said, oh, you you got a lot of chap snotting going on there? It's not called chap. Oh, that's right. That's not the end of life. That's not the golden life. It's because you got a whole bunch of those. So what? You know, Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, Brad Pitt, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, choose your party, choose your, but you know it's if I'm popular and if I win, then I'm somebody, and if I, my grandma never ran for political parties. She didn't have Twitter And she was a wonderful woman. Now, she maybe thought she was wonderful because she baked great cookies. I don't know. I didn't love her for her cookies, although they were great. That doesn't have anything to do with what we are. But the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, were horrible in Sodom. We don't know all that went on there. We only know part of what went on there because of the story that's told, but it was a very wicked place. It has also been said that if God does not judge America, he should apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not there yet, but it's a pretty evil, dark time. But I, for one, will stand up and go to the wall shot before I renounce or anything out of scripture. Well, God sent angels, didn't he? Sent angels to rescue people and we should be doing the same. God sent an angel, you be an angel. It's always nice to be told you're an angel. We don't mind that, do we? None of us want to be said you're a demon. No, you're an angel. Be an angel. Reach out, help. Jude In the book of Jude, it says, snatch them out of the fire. Get them out of where they're at. And by the way, do you wonder, are there any sins worse than Sodom? Sometimes we run down that road. Oh, well, homosexuality is the worst sin ever, and and so therefore, well, we know that's not true because in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus tells the people that go and present the gospel, and if they reject it, shake the dust off your feet and get out of there. It will be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. So the worst sin of all is not believing and following Christ because that carries eternal damnation, sobering. And I did tell you this wasn't the happiest of messages, but there is hope. God sent angels. The Lord Jesus Christ came. He rose from the tomb. None of us have to walk this path. We can reach out and we can snatch people out of the fire. We can help them escape and go to glory with us. We don't have any excuses here in America, of course, for not knowing Christ or following Christ. My goodness, we've got Bibles on the shelves. We've got radios. We've got Computers, uh, churches. I, I still don't know of any place in America where you know they won't allow you to go to church. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ came to rescue sinners. You go to First Corinthians chapter six. You can read the whole list. Nobody's left out. He can rescue them all. He rescued you. He knows your thoughts, your hearts. He even knows what you're going to do tomorrow. And he loved you. He died on the cross for you. So, conclusion. Where do you end up when in a sermon with this? Well. I'm going to end up with this. all of us are leaving behind a legacy. We're remembered, aren't we when we're gone? Um, we you go to the cemetery and you read uh, tombstones sometimes you know there's something really interesting said there about the person. oftentimes it said loving father, devoted husband um You don't really know if it's true. I know what it says on my parents' tombstone because we wrote it there. That's the legacy they left behind. What legacy are you going to leave behind? If we look today, we look at two. We look at Abraham, faithful, obedient Abraham, still called in Christianity, in Judaism, in Islam, a friend of God. That's quite a legacy. And then you have the legacy of unfaithful, rebellious lot. Those are two roads. Which one are you on? Are you on a road to leave behind for your children and grandchildren and those around you, a legacy of a faithful, obedient follower of Christ? Or will you be known as an unfaithful rebel? Lot, of course, is dead in an unknown grave somewhere. Abraham lives on around the world, known as a friend of God. Two followers of God, two examples. Choose, well, choose. Because with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, you too can choose what your legacy will be. There's a beautiful hymn that talks about that. Wonderful, merciful Savior, Precious redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace, you offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, Here in our weakness, you find us falling before your throne. Lord, we come to you this morning as we look at a dark chapter out of your word. I don't even like to read it, Lord, and I don't like to preach about it, but it's there for a purpose. But Lord, in that dark chapter, there shines a light of redemption. You sent angels to rescue Lot out of a wicked place. And Lord, you sent your own son and you send us to rescue others out of this wicked world. So Lord, those of us here who are following you and claim to be followers of Christ and who have accepted his salvation, Lord, help us to be angels of mercy. Help us to reach out and have friends who are not righteous. But Lord, at the same time, help us to have friends who are righteous holding on to our other hand and keeping us accountable, Lord, to walk well. Lord, lift the folks in this church, in this town, in this county up as angels of light. Help us, Lord, to be true to your word, always honoring truth, but, Lord, help us be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as you have forgiven us for Christ's sake. Lord, help not any unwholesome words to come out of our mouths as we are walking in this world, and help, Lord. To us to leave a legacy behind like that of Abraham and not like that of Lot. Help us, Lord. We bow before your throne. We extend our hands and say, lead us, Lord, because we are weak and don't know the way. And Father, we'll give you the honor and glory for it, and we thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.